You are listening to Zen and the Art of Triathlon. Well, hey there, all you triathlon freaks and geeks. This is Coach Brett with another great episode of Zen and the Art of Triathlon, the podcast where we go long on endurance and learn a lot about ourselves along the way. On today's show, we have a very interesting interview with Kai Blankner and also a race review of the race that he just did, the Austin Rattler. This race is a really big deal in the mountain biking world. It's one of the few qualifiers for the Leadville 100. So we're going to talk at length about how he did fueling, hydration, pacing, gear, and tactics. It's a three-lap race of 60 miles. And on a mountain bike, that is extreme. And since it's a qualifier for the Leadville 100, the pace at the front was madness. There's some great details in there on how to support somebody coming in through the only aid station and how to hand them up stuff and also what kind of decisions need to be made per lap. This is the real deal. This is high-end, front-of-the-pack racing. And at just under five hours, this would be the equivalent of somebody doing a pretty fast half Ironman. So we can take lots of what comes out of this conversation and apply it to ourselves. And if the name sounds familiar, Kai Blankner is my son. And I couldn't be more proud that he has developed into a front-of-the-pack top age grouper and becoming an elite-level pro mountain biker whenever he decides to make the jump. Now, Kai is an interesting case of a combination of athletic talent and also growing up in a house with an Ironman for dad and his mom's extremely athletic too. And also, I was raised in a household with athletic parents that whenever a choice had to be made, it was always towards sports or health and fitness and bicycles instead of video games. And it's fine to be outside all day long on a bike in healthy meals and such. And my parents put my brother and I in every single sport that was available until we found one that actually worked, several that actually worked for us. I remember my brother playing softball or kids baseball and throwing the bat into the stands. And my parents were like, okay, this is not the sport for him. <laughs> and we both grew up playing soccer and a lot of soccer, actually, and then swimming and basketball. And a lot of what my parents were trying to do was wear us out because an athletic kid that is worn out is a happy kid that probably gets better grades, and the whole household is probably happier that way. It's like a dog. You know, a dog that runs is actually a well-behaved dog. So when Kai was really little, we could not keep him off of a bike, and he wanted to bike off-road all the time, he said, starting at age three or two. And I would push him the baby jogger while I would run, and then eventually it was him riding on his little bicycle next to me while I'm running. And then it was trail running with him on his mountain bike. But, you know, like a kid's mountain bike, those are real heavy, a lot of them. And so I'd have to push him up and over every little hill. But it was good bonding time. And then when he was, I think, six, a local kid's triathlon team had formed. And we put him on that. And Kai became one of the top triathletes in Texas. But he was never quite the fastest. And I'm going to get to that in a minute, how important that is. Because in a way, that's a good thing. And I had no problem with it. And then some point in his middle school years, the team folded. And he'd been playing soccer, again, trying to wear him out. 
and it's always good to be playing that sport. And he was also running track and cross country in his middle school. And in eighth grade, he won the two-mile track run event, not just at his school, not just at the district, but I think at regionals. And I was like, hmm. (laughs) And then when he played soccer, you know, there's always that one kid on your team that's super fast and gets to the ball first and is like really aggressive. Kai was not that kid, but I wasn't that kid either. And I knew what was going on. It's a mix of, yeah, they're not quite that fast with with, uh, fast twitch, but also there's somebody that thinks of strategy. I was always not the first to the ball because I was thinking, where do I need to be to be in the best place? And maybe that's not it right this second. I need to be somewhere else. And I was a really successful soccer player. I was a player of the year on my teams and uh, a forward and a goalie and and a halfback, everything. Really loved it. And I started to realize that Kai might have potential as a middle to long distance endurance athlete. At that time, I was thinking triathlon. But also, you have to remember, your kids are not you. You need to let them discover their own thing. My brother and I both became great swimmers. Neither one of my parents were on a real swim team or anything like that. But one thing for sure that was happening was I was going for long trail runs and long bike rides at Millican Reserve. And what I would do was I would say, we're just going to go at your pace, Kai. And he's like, well, how far are we going to go? And I said, I don't know, but we're doing two hours because <laughs> that's my long run. And that's why we're out here. I did a two hour run today now that I think about it. But there's actually several things going on here. We've got a kid who's obviously not a super sprinter like Usain Bolt because he's not the fastest to the ball, but he loves playing. And he's like the third fastest to the ball, second, fourth, you know. And then when the tournaments come and their games all day long, other kids would burn out and he wouldn't. And he's grown up in a household, like I said, with a long distance endurance athlete who's showing him, hey, drink this, eat this, take a break, get off your feet. You know, all these like different strategies, stay out of the sun. Here's how you keep a drink cool. Here's how you keep yourself cool. Here's how you don't get tired. You need to eat this now. And then you need to eat this other thing later. And they don't really understand at that age, but they're seeing that there's something going on the general concepts that there are ways to actually be good at endurance that aren't obvious and you need to learn it from people. So there's that. And then also a great way to make somebody hate a sport is to force them to do it. So everything was play and everything was at the speed that he wanted to go, not him trying to keep up with me. And also with lots of little breaks mixed in. And that was to build this big aerobic base, this big engine. And then another thing that I have seen in my youth growing up on sports teams, and I pointed out to Kai multiple times, was it's okay to not be the fastest in middle school and in high school. That's not when you want to peak. I remember when I went away to military school for a few years and then came back my senior year of high school, the athletic phenomenons that when I left when I was a freshman were not the athletic phenomenons when I got back. And some of them were my friends and I would talk with them and they just got burned out. Swimming is a really good example of one that burns you out. And lastly, I want endurance sports to always be there for Kai as a lifetime sport. You can swim, bike, and run your entire life if you don't get injured from trying too hard or doing too much. And also if it doesn't burn your life down and you end up hating it because you tried too hard to be too competitive too soon or for too much too long. So you can see how this magic mix, oh, and also I've grown up seeing the results of parents that are overbearing and trying to 
make their kids do what they want them to do. So there was a lot of letting him pick his own path and do the sports that he wanted to do and only stepping in when it seemed like he was having trouble. Like, for example, his ninth grade track coach was running him into the ground and injuring him and literally said that he did not care that Kai was hurt in his foot. He was going to keep running him. And I was sitting there thinking, you got four years in high school to develop. It's your senior year when you're on varsity, making the most points for your team. You got a kid that wants to do this. He's obviously got talent. So you should just let him slow cook and do easy runs until the injury goes away and cut his volume maybe in half. And you have like a squad of kids like that on your team that are just on the back burner. You're waiting for them to develop into the phenomenons that they're going to be when they're seniors. And this coach wasn't having that. He was going to break Kai and permanently injure him. And I stepped in and said, no, we're quitting this. We're going to find a different sport. And then that's when we switched back to the mountain bike team. But again, you have this magic mix of an athletic kid that loves to do swim, bike, run, mountain biking, soccer, but he's not quite the fastest, but he is athletic. And then a parent who through all these years of Zen and Yarda triathlon and interviewing the pros and the best coaches in the world and learning from the best clinics and the best experience that as an endurance athlete, you peak like in your late 20s, early 30s. Now is not the time when you're in middle school or high school to kill yourself training. And the ones that are phenomenons in high school are almost, well, especially like middle school, they're almost never even in the sport anymore by the time they hit college. So since the goal is really long-term, let's just build volume by play. And then also try not to be an overbearing parent, leaving the door open all the time for him to do something else if he wants to. That way he doesn't hate the sport. My brother and I both, after college, really did not want to swim at all, any kind of swim team practice, because we got burned out on swimming, which is a very typical thing. But man, I grew up playing on a bicycle all around my neighborhood. You cannot get me off a bicycle still to this day. It is the best. And I ran some, but I didn't run tons and wasn't really competitive at it all through middle school and high school because I was swimming. And so running today to me is like really fun because I'm not burned out on it. So we've got this kind of like hands-off approach, just kind of seeing where it's going, which also coincidentally folds hand in hand with the right way to train big volume is just to go easy and make it fun. And that also prevents injuries. And if it turns into something, then it turns into something. And if not, we had a good time anyway. When Kai was on the triathlon team, he actually raced against the kid that you'll see on a meme that says, I operate on another level. And it's the like eight-year-old kid with a teardrop helmet and a $10,000 bicycle on aero bars and those lightweight wheels that cost probably five grand each all custom made. If you Google it, you can find that meme. That kid actually was in Kai's competition group. And we were watching a kid's triathlon. And in a way, it was kind of sad. I, I don't know how they've turned out or anything like that. But the, the kid finished the race. And as he took off on, he finished the bike race. And as he took off on the run, the dad went over to the bike and pulled off a bike computer and started going through the numbers. Dude, for like an eight-year-old, <laughs> there's in the meme picture, there's other people on bikes, little kids on bikes, like a little girl with a basket and tassels on it, you know? And the kid was great, but I got the feeling that he didn't really appreciate everything that he had gotten. He didn't work for it. It was all just given to him. And also the the fanaticism of the parent 
was eventually going to drive a wedge between the kid and his dad. And that's another thing is I always wanted to make sure that Kai and I had a good relationship. And that's why I don't personally coach him entirely myself. And we'll get to that in a second. So the triathlon team folded and Kai was looking for another sport. And we got word that there was a kid's mountain bike team. And it was a combination of the local middle schools and the two local high schools. So it's like a composite, it was a college station composite mountain bike team. And they train out at Milliken where Kai and I were trail riding and running for two hours at a time. <laughs> and we met up with them out there for a practice. And the practice was the one of the most beautiful things that I've ever seen in my entire life. The kids all taken off on bikes into the woods with some parents at the lead and some parents at the back. And they're hooting and hollering and going over stuff and around trees. And they disappeared down into a into like a little valley and then back up the other side. And they're having the time of their lives. And we're way away from the school, way away from like social pressure and trying to look cool in front of other kids. Like, like say you were like doing track in the middle of a stadium, you know, at your uh, local high school. It was the most organic, beautiful, natural, awesome thing and I always commented on it about how cool of a sport this was. And I wish they had this when I was in high school. I would have done that and swimming. And also they're out in nature two, three times a week. And you know, mountain biking has this natural stoke to it where everybody's like supportive and it's just fun. So some of our first practices with them and then a race, I remember our first race, the coaches came up to me and said, dude, your kid is a machine. How is he so good already? He just joined the team. And I said, oh, well, we've been riding uh, for years and just nice, easy pace, building an aerobic base engine. And also he was on the kids triathlon team here before they folded. So he also knows how to race. And they were like, oh, interesting. Hmm. So all through that last year of middle school and then high school, he was on this mount kids mountain bike team racing all over Texas. And they start off uh, like freshmen does, we talk about it during the interview, freshman does one lap and then, you know, sophomore two laps, three laps, four laps for varsity. And you work your way up to varsity. And Kai would always get like third, fourth, fifth, you know, and I always told him, don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. Those kids that are winning right now, out of the 10 of them that are winning all the time right now, two of them are still going to be in the sport by the time you graduate. So don't worry about it. And also... We don't want to burn you out. We want you to have fun and just keep doing the big volume workouts. And your racing is your hard stuff. And let's just always make sure that it's fun. Because I think you might have the capability to be great at this, but you don't want to peak now. Oh, and then also we were in Boy Scouts. We went camping once a month, so we'd miss some stuff here and there. But the, the camping and the high adventure backpacking and stuff really uh, set the ground for even more love for the outdoors and especially mountain biking. So back to the coaching, the mountain bike team had, had coaches, but they're just giving like very, very casual guidance. It wasn't like real coaching at all. It's more like safety stuff. And they eventually pulled me in as a coach. Um, but again, same thing. My job was just to make sure that they had fun while they were out there and get them out there. But by his junior year, Kai started saying that he wanted to actually start winning. It was making him mad that other people were beating him. <laughs> I'm like, ah, here we go. He wants it. Not us. He wants to be really fast. Now let's give him some tools. So then I really started explaining to him the science behind aerobic conditioning and what we were doing and also the nutrition and hydration science to start going longer because his races were getting longer and longer. And I had him on training peaks just for fun so he could get used to it because at some point he's going to be coached by somebody that's coaching him on training peaks. And I was showing him heart rate graphs 
But up until then, I think we didn't even have a heart rate strap on him. Didn't matter. Just easy, right? No power meter, nothing. So because he started wanting it and it was his once, then it was time to change it up a little bit. The first thing is the bike. He was on a Canyon Neuron, which is like a trail bike. It's almost a trail bike. It's not really, it's not a, it's not a cross country bike. And he wanted it because it was fun. It had more suspension, right? Well, and also it was aluminum. So that's a heavy-ish kind of bike. And from all my bike nerdery, you know, I start saying, you know, you need to trim up your kit a little bit so it's not as baggy. You need to think about shaving your legs if you want to win. And then the other thing is we need to get you a different bike. I did back of the napkin math and figured out the weight of that bike versus the Trek Super Caliber was costing him about 30 seconds per lap. And in three laps, guess how much he was missing podium by? About a minute and a half. So I told him, we get you the actual correct bike like the other kids are riding that are winning. You're already on the podium. And then I said, now another thing is you need more volume on the road, not on the trails. All the volume he was doing, he was going and mountain biking in the mountain bike park which is a lot of stop, start, stop, start, which is fine, but it doesn't give you the hours and hours that you need of just steady pace and big, long climbs like you get on the road. But there's a problem. I don't want a junior in high school out on the open road with all these cars. And by the grace of the triathlon gods and the biking gods of the cycling gods, gravel biking had come out. And I talked about it in another podcast about how we got into it. I was like, oh my gosh, this is a way for you to get in lots of volume way more safely on more remote roads than the roads uh, that have a lot of traffic on it. I'm, I'm very cool with this. He's on roads with, you know, a car every 10 minutes instead of, you know, 10 a minute. And then we got him an indoor trainer so that he can do his rides whenever the weather's bad. I told him that's a big key. And then we got him a coach. And now you may be asking, why didn't I coach him? Well, I really love my dad. And we really had some great times together, but I didn't get to quite spend as much time with him as I wanted to because he had a long commute or he's always working out of town or I was in military school. And when your dad is your coach, you have to be really lucky. It does happen on rare occasion. You have to be really lucky where you two get along because now you're making them do something and you're forcing them to do something and it may make them end up hating the sport. What I found that worked really good for me and Kai was hey, I'm going on a long bike ride. Do you want to come with me? And he's like, yeah, about three times out of four. And for me to be competitive with him, oh, my time was faster than you on this one Strava section, you know, or segment, or I bet I can beat you to the top of that hill. And so with my background in sports psychology, I knew it'd be better for somebody else to coach him. And then also I knew something from my own experience is you want a coach that inspires you. And the age gap between me and Kai and also the sports difference, we're talking shorter distance, we're talking youth, mountain biking, which is a shorter distance. It's long enough for them. And then versus Ironman, Ultraman, you know, where the whole goal is to see how slow you can go, but for how long. They're not compatible. And also me being 45 years old and him being like 16, we're just not enough alike for me to be inspirational to him. Also, he grew up in the household with me. You know, he's not that impressed with it. It's kind of like old news. But I heard Kai several times mention that this kid's being coached by Williams Racing Academy. This kid's being coached by Williams Racing Academy. Oh, look at their jerseys. Oh, they're on the racing, the Williams Racing Academy team. It's like, oh, very interesting. So we reached out and found out it wasn't a team that you had to qualify for. It was just a coaching service. And if you're on the coach, if you're being coached, you're on the team. So basically, basically you pay to be on the team. But that's pretty normal. And I'll never forget listening in on the first coaching interview with him. And Kai was so excited. And Kai 
was especially excited that the guy was younger and he had raced cycling specifically in Europe and was from Texas. So Kai could see himself in this coach and the coach excited him. And so I'm like, that's what it takes. Kai's going to do the workouts this guy gives him. And then also listening to the coaching and also the first few coaching calls, the coaching plan and how they coach. He's training peaks, CTL, chronic training load, TSS, training stress score. Uh, he wanted to build up Kai long-term over years. Kai mentioned that he wanted to be, you know, eventually wanted to be like a gravel racer or a long-distance endurance mountain biker. And the coach said, that's unusual. We don't get that often. And he said, yeah, this is a long-term project. And he was good. Yeah, heart rate. Uh, power off the uh, trainer and everything that the coach said, I was like, whoa, this guy knows what he's talking about. I approve of this message. And a lot of Kai's early coaching calls, we would get off and I would just say, hey, I'm just here just to listen. And then we'd get off the call and then I'd say, okay, Kai, when he said this, this is what he meant. Like, this is how he's, because I could see, you know, being with Kai, like his eyes were kind of like, oh. <laughs> like, what is he talking about? Or eyes would glaze over. I'm like, what he's saying is actually the, you know, how do you, how do you, do what he's saying is like this. Oh, okay. So we're still doing what seems to work out really good. Kai comes to me continuously for advice. He just did it a couple days ago on fuels and how to build up his volume. Like questions he doesn't really want to ask the coach, I guess. And then also like wheel choices and other gear and things that you just can't get from a remote coach, but you can get from somebody living with you or that you did live with, Kai's off at college right now, that can tell you, yeah, this works because of this. This doesn't work because of that. This is actually the most important thing, aerodynamics and fuel, cars. This is how you can carry that fuel. This is where, where on your bike the aerodynamics matter. This helmet's probably better than that one. This kit will probably work better. When to shave your legs, when not to shave your legs. I mean, just on and on, all dumb stuff that I've accumulated that is also very important over all these years. And it's so wonderful when he actually comes to me and asks me, I'm like, God, he still remembers that I know this stuff. He still believes. Like the fuel one, just the other day, he sent me a link and a photo of some fuel that he was interested in taking. And I said, got to make sure it's got that NSF certification on it and or SNF, I forgot was called. But anyway, it's safe in sport. And that means it's been verified that it doesn't have any doping stuff in it and you won't pop positive on a test. If it doesn't have that, when you go pro and you start getting piss tested all the time, this is the kind of stuff that matters. So you might as well be in the habit now. And then Kai's coach from Williams Racing Academy, and they're cycling only, by the way, but their their thing is they give him the specific workouts and Kai has a coaching call with him. I think it's every two weeks. And they go over you know, how it's going the specific, like, how did this particular workout feel? Why? And all that stuff, I just leave alone. And then Kai rides with me on his long rides. And we talk on our long rides. And I give him advice or explain to him, like, why this works and why this doesn't. And it's wonderful. It's this perfect combination. And we're not driving a wedge between us as uh, father-son. And it's just been fantastic. So anyway, all this is going on. And I think the summer during Kai's junior year, we sign up for the El Camino 205 gravel race. And it's actually, it's 200 over uh, two days. And you just do one day. You could do both days if you wanted to. And this was going to be Kai's longest ride race to date. Really vertical gravel, really hilly, hot. And the whole plan was he was going to ride with me because he had never gotten into something this big before. We'd done a bunch of training rides together and it was tough on that course. And they said, go. And we're riding together for all of about 10 seconds. 
and the front of the pack started taking off like rockets. And remember, he's supposed to ride with me and we're going to go slow just so that he can finish because it's so going to be it's going to be so hard and so long. Kai looked back at me like two, three times. And I could tell he just wanted to go. And I was like, I go, I nodded at him. I'm like, go, man, go. <laughs> and he took off. And when I crossed the finish line, it turned out he had beaten me by two or three hours or something. And he was doing great, but he kind of bonked at one point and got, dropped off dropped off the uh, front of the pack, but still did like really good. And it would have been terrible for him to have ridden with me. He really enjoyed riding with the, the people on the front and he could do it, but he wasn't used to fueling and hydrating for, for that long. Doesn't, didn't really believe like how important that is at that time. That's one thing that, that kids, as they get better and get older, they have to, they have to learn. This stuff actually does matter. They're not bulletproof. And so we're at the finish line hanging out and Kai said, you know, he fell off the front pack and rode by himself I had to ride by himself for quite a while. I'm like, well, what do you mean? He's like, like two hours or something. <laughs> and I said, uh, this is the Zen uh, training that I've been through and learned is you don't put opinions into people's heads by suggesting things. It's also a common psychological thing nowadays. I didn't say, oh, that must have been terrible or wow, that's pretty great. I just said, well, how did, how did that make you feel to be out there by yourself? And he goes, I liked it. And I was like, damn, okay. He actually enjoys solo riding and doesn't feel lost or abandoned or scared at those times when you have to pull through all by yourself. He actually enjoys it. Because when long races get real, you often end up by yourself. Some people hate it and they're not going to do the sport for very long or ever again. Some people can kind of tolerate it and they're going to do all right. Some people love it. <laughs> and that's what actually you need also if you're going to do a lot of training you end up training by yourself a lot because you need to go your own pace which is good for your own uh, improvement and not train to everybody else which you'll end up being oh, going too fast or too slow half the time to actually improve and, and get up to elite or pro so kai's high school nika is the league the high school nika mountain bike races are shorter and faster pace really competitive like psycho starts you know elbow to elbow and there's that, and Kai was doing okay at those, pretty good. You get podium off and on. But then there's also these other races around Texas and up into, we went up to Louisiana, went to Arizona, that are longer races, so more like 30 to 40 miles. And then there's marathon mountain biking, which is definitely 40 plus miles. And then, yeah, we did a six-hour relay race, and Kai was just knocking these out of the park. He's either winning his age group or coming in second, but he's like 16, 17, where you have to be 18 to even do the race and we have to get a waiver. <laughs> and like what happened uh, this past weekend, and a lot of times winning his age group, but it's 29 and under is the age group and he's 17, 18. So it was like a nice mix of the raw performance and technical skills of being on the NICA high school mountain biking league stuff, which is all across the United States. I highly recommend it. Wherever it is, whatever it is in your country, man, it is cool. But then also the big volume and the gravel biking and the coaching that's telling them like how to go longer and that it's okay to just do easy volume a lot of the times. Then Kai ends up going to Texas State for college. And in the United States, very few colleges have actual cycling teams. They're most, um, most of them are club racing team. And it doesn't matter about the size of the college. Texas A&M is huge. University of Texas, huge. They do not have a mountain bike cycling like varsity team, 
But there is one or two colleges in Texas that do have a actual cycling team with scholarships and such. And Kai kind of wanted to go to one of those, but I told Kai, I said, if you want to be an off-road gravel and mountain biking pro someday, well, one, go to a school that's got a degree that you really like. So when the pro thing and the mountain biking chasing is over someday, you've got an education to fall back on. And if you get the right degree, the right education, you can do both at the same time and they complement each other. And Texas State has sports science with a minor in business administration, which he's actually doing. And he could always change, right? But that's a great degree that if he wants to get into cycling as a career to have in his back pocket. He could end up working for some coaching company. And a lot of people get degrees in engineering and end up, uh, Jordan Rapp is one of my uh, looked up to interviews that I've had on this show. You know, when your pro career starts winding down, you go work for a bike company, building product, because you got an engineering degree and you're a pro racer. But the other thing is that because it's a club team, it's much more open and casual and you can race or not. You go to this race, you can maybe go do something else. And they don't have structured workouts where some coach is trying to run you into the ground for their goals, the school's goals, instead of your own goals. So Kai, if you go to that other school that's got this varsity training program, I did not like the interview that we saw with the coach where only some of the best kids get to go to races and they train, you know, you know, however many days a week and they have to be there at these certain times. I'm like, from what I know from all the years of coaching is you train on days, you feel good, days you don't feel good, you know, you, you back off a little bit or don't train at all. You need to balance it with your schoolwork. There is a total art to being an endurance athlete where first you have to learn to listen to your body and what it's telling you. And then you follow what it says. And that's how you build the big engine and the rings on the tree and going to a school where the team is a club team where you get to choose and your coaches tell you what's probably best for you outside of the school program. And again, what's best for you, not the team. I think the club team will give you the freedom to build yourself into something really big after you graduate from college. So don't feel like you're missing out by not being on a varsity team. It's some small school that may not even have the degree that you want to get anyway. So just like when Kai joined the mountain bike team in eighth grade, Kai shows up and starts riding with the Texas State team. And he call home and say, one, he absolutely loves it there. The team's really cool. Uh, the terrain is really challenging. It's going to make him a better rider. But the older racers on the team told him how surprised they were at how good he was. And he hadn't even raced yet. He's just riding with them in a training ride. And Kai's real modest, you know, so he's playing it down. No big deal. And then Emily and I went to Kai's first race with the team. And they had happened to be in San Marcos. And that's where the college is. So, you know, we combined it as a trip to see. And... We stayed on the sidelines and cheered him on. And in Kai's very first race, collegiate race with AM, UT, Baylor, and then that varsity team, scholarship racers, the national champion of Honduras was there. Kai got second place just two months into his freshman year, second place overall in the, the longer cross country race that they had. They do like a time trial and then something short on Friday or uh, Saturday, and then they do the long race on Sunday. And he did good in the, the other two, too. He got like third and fourth or something like that. And I swear, if they thought of it, those kids on Kai's team, the other college students would have picked Kai up on their, on their shoulders and carried him around. They were so blown away and so stoked that Kai did so well right out of the gates. After the racing was all done, they're drinking some beer. 
because this is college, it's not high school. <laughs> and they're like, you are the future of the team. And I was like, whoa, this is what it's like when you show up somewhere and you're a phenomenon. And then the other race that he did with the college, it was big race in Waco, which is also a really technical, hard course. Kai won overall, I think everything. He got first place. And then they just had a party and announced that uh, Kai was, the team had won the entire year of the fall mountain bike season. And they gave Kai a special certificate that he was the most valuable incomer or something like that. Now you have to keep things in perspective. This is Texas. This isn't Colorado or California. I would say that we rank probably like third or fourth in the best states for mountain biking for the, the best guys. So he's not like national champion or world champion or anything like that. But what we're starting to see is the results of patient, reasonable, slow growth and doing the right things to stay with it. And it's kind of like a forest. You know, some trees fall away, some stay. The ones that stay keep growing. Some other trees fall away. The ones that stay keep growing. Also avoiding injury. He's only had one injury with his foot his entire life. So even now, even though he's winning collegiate races, I'm still thinking he's only a freshman. Just be chill. Keep building the volume. Do the right things. And eventually, you'll be one of the last ones standing. All the volume and training you get that entire time that you made it to being one of the last ones standing. Then your dream of being a pro and really getting to enjoy it for five, ten years can actually come true. Now, how good of a pro you are, that's a whole different can of worms. And honestly, I think that's a trap. Just like all the other times I told Kai, he didn't need to be the fastest. He didn't need to be the best right now. Also, if you're the best pro, if you're the world champion, whatever, you're only it for a very brief time. You're like one year, maybe two years, and it is all consuming. Nowadays, with social media, there's a completely different path. You can be a pro and then also be able to pay a lot of bills by having a nice social media presence. And you, you win your occasional race, but you're always doing pretty good and you're supportive of others. And you don't actually have to win every single race to be successful. There's a lot of people that are very successful in cycling and triathlon that aren't pros at all, but they have a positive attitude. They're always there. They're knowledgeable and they're helpful. And if you do that, you can be that guy or that girl for decades instead of burning up and burning out. I was at a mountain bike race last year and there was a pro that was 48 years old, I think. <laughs> I was like, that's pretty cool, dude. He got second place, I think. So anyway, that's a story of how Kai got to be where he is now. Like I said, it's this approach of seeing some talent, but being at the right place, the right time, and a real hands-off approach to generate a love for the sport. But that coincides with being able to build a lot of aerobic base and volume in the big engine, but then a very hands-on approach when it came to doing just the right things and kind of steering the ship every once in a while, but always checking that that's still what he wanted to do and making sure that he still wants this as his goals. And also being ready and open at any time, things could go sideways and that's okay. It is just riding bikes because the real goal is a lifetime of riding bikes. And I would love to be 80 years old and go out for my piddly little 20 mile bike ride or 10 mile bike ride. I don't know what you can do at 80. <laughs> I think it depends on the person. But here that Kai did what I did today at age 50 and went out for a 76 mile bike ride yesterday and then a 14 mile run this morning and just loving it and it makes him a better person and he plans on doing it the rest of his life and if he's got kids they're 
happy and healthy and fit too, following his example. That's actually the real goal. What we don't want is to be trapped in a career with a rat race and stress and an hour commute each way, two hour commute each way, eating up your time and trying to climb the corporate ladder and thinking superficial things matter and your health going completely sideways and ending up with a heart condition or stress-related panic attacks, heart attacks, and a whole bunch of health conditions and drama that happens to so many of us when we stop having enough exercise in our lives to kind of ground things a little bit. It is the real world out there. You need a job, you got to pay bills, and a lot of times it sucks and takes up too much of your time, but there's choices you can make so that you end up having enough health and fitness in your life as your foundation so that you can live a long time and be healthy, happy, fit, and strong the entire way. You want to live an awesome life until you're 85 and then die suddenly. (laughs) Not live an awesome life through high school and then slowly come apart over the next 30 years and then have a heart attack at age 50 and then you're out of the game. Okay, so with all that, let's get into Kai's interview. And don't forget, if you want personal coaching from yours truly, I do fully custom coaching for all three sports, either together as triathlon or individually. We use training peaks. I go through all your metrics and build you towards your goal, whether it be your next half marathon or your next Ironman. I change up your workouts by the week to tailor fit how you've been doing. And I also explain to you what all the metrics mean so you understand it as well. My goal is not to coach you forever. My goal is to train you on how to coach yourself, actually. All you really need is a heart rate monitor and a bike computer with GPS. Power meter is nice too, but not required. It's only $1.99 a month and you will definitely hit your goals and I will teach you how to be the long distance superstar that you've always wanted to be. All you have to do is send an email to texafornia at gmail.com. That's like Texas and California, T-E-X-A-F-O-R-N-I-A. Put coaching in the subject line and we can get started. I should also mention when I was going back and editing the audio for the interview, I noticed that I was talking really fast. And Kai was talking at a very normal, casual pace. (laughs) And the reason that is, is because I knew that we only had 30 minutes at a pop to record the interview. And I already made up a long list of questions that I was wanting to get out and move the interview along before we ran out of time. So that's why it sounds like that with one side fast and one side normal. And honestly, I'd like to spend all day talking with him and ask him questions about his race if we could. But anyway... So without further ado, here's our special guest, the amazing off-road racer, Kai Blankner. Here we go. All right, we are here with the amazing Kai Blankner, who just finished the Austin Rattler Super Marathon mountain bike race. Yeah, that was a was a long race. Yeah, it, how how long was it? It ended up being, I want to say, fifty five miles. They yeah. say it's sixty. Um, it feels like sixty, but yeah, yeah it ended up a little a little under sixty. Yeah, they advertise it as sixty, and there's a chance it could be sixty because it's so rugged and twisty, and mm-hmm. GPS um, can't collect that like. The proper way, a lot of people don't know this, but like if you're doing a trail running race that's certified or like a marathon, they do the exact same thing. They take a measuring wheel and they wheel the course, even out in the mountains and all that stuff to get it certified. Uh, if you're going to do like the fastest 
uh, trail run run hundred. So to really know for sure, you'd have to tra- you'd have to measure wheel that course. Yeah, so that would be that would be a pain. <laughs> <laughs> now, I wouldn't be surprised if it's it's definitely more than fifty something. So then, uh, let's see, you got sixth for the twenty nine and under age group, and you're barely in that age group. Yep. Um, and then you got sixteenth overall, and there was close to like three hundred people. It was three hundred two people, and looking back at the results i looked at it a few days ago and it moved me up to 15th oh i wonder what happened yeah interesting okay and so this was a lifetime brand the gyms Uh, so a lot of people that listen to the show do trap on they don't know that much about there's a chance they might not know about the mountain biking and gravel craziness that's going on right now so a lot like iron man lifetime has started a off-road biking um series Mm-hmm. that you have to qualify for and then at the end of the year they have a champion and this year's champion male champion so boyfriend girlfriend right so keegan swinson and what's his girlfriend's name sophia something yeah it's, a, it's a a multiple last name situation yeah and so anyway like thousands of tens of thousands of dollars like two hundred fifty thousand dollars or something like that. yeah well i think I think I've been saying it was like $200,000, but I think that's all of the money combined and they give it out. They distribute, distribute it. Oh, that's right. Yeah. It's 10 places like to 10 spots. Um, and it's, it's a lot, the, it's the lifetime grand prix, but it's the Leadville trail series. I think that's what it's called. It's, I mean, it's a, it's a bunch of races and they take their most popular, like six of the most popular ones. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, eventually, maybe the Rattler will be on there. Oh, it uh, could be. Yeah, I wonder. Yeah. So that would also kind of suck because you'd have to qualify to do the Rattler. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't want to qualify to do the Rattler. I just want to sign up for it. It's right here. Yeah. Yeah. And then they do this lottery system, just like Iron Man, where the top, uh, just very few people, sometimes, most of the time, just one person per age group gets a, gets a slot to go to the Leadville 100. And they yep. do it for the running race too, right? So it's a run. That's the where it got started, I think, was the Leadville 100 trail running race. Yep. And uh, so the town of Leadville, for people that don't know, was the mining company that it's the it's the top, it's the highest elevation town in the United States. And it's at 10,000 feet in Colorado. And the mining company kind of went bankrupt and left town. And then the town went into poverty and stuff. And this guy that lives there started a trail running race. And people have just loved it ever since he started it. And then they've added mountain biking and the mountain biking really took off when Lance Armstrong did it about eight years ago or maybe 10 years ago. And they made a movie about it and he won it and uh, ride across the sky or something like that, that they actually, we went to the movie theater, watched that thing. And so then that took off in popularity and then Lachlan Morton did it and he's super famous in mountain biking. But anyway, it's a hundred mile mountain bike race that everybody wants to get into. And it's so popular. They have a lot, they have, you have to qualify for it. And then also lottery um, and kind of unlike Ironman, it was like just a, just, just like Ironman, it was just a few qualifying spots for the best one or two uh, per age group. And then just a ton of. Um, yeah. You had a better chance of getting a lottery than actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That seemed like the, I, we realized that that's like, that's how you get into this thing is good luck you know uh getting in it uh by performance tons of of uh qualifiers by by just calling out people's names out of number hat but 
that's that race, right? Okay, so what was your goal for this race for Austin Rattler? Um, so I went into it with the goal of, I mean, qualifying for Lippo. That was my main goal. Mm-hmm. Um, we were looking at times from last year and the year before that of what the qualifier, what their time was. Mm-hmm. And I was aiming for for that time uh, between four and a half hours and five hours. Mm-hmm. Um, came a little bit short of the goal, but that's okay because I ended up with a pretty good spot overall and for my age group um going into it i wasn't like oh i'm gonna do this overall i want to get this position for the age group 29 and under but i ended up doing pretty well so other than qualifying for leadville um yeah i think i i did pretty well with overall yeah this marathon mountain biking thing that uh, we do all sports on this podcast that are like swim bike run trail running and mountain marathon mountain biking is definitely endurance related and you've got a really good history with that i was just recalling earlier today that let's see the hugoland one in fredericksburg marathon mountain biking that's something that a lot of people are familiar with and those are 40 to 42 to 44 miles long they have marathon mountain biking national championships and world championships and those are very much endurance events uh mountain biking for 44 miles is uh very taxing yes and so you've been doing that starting like two years ago or a year ago. And I think you won the, at Rocky Hill, you won the 29 and under, and I think you got third overall or something, right? At um, up Fat Chuck's Revenge or something. Though that super muddy race. That was, I did a half marathon. So it was like 26 miles. Okay. That's still a lot on a mountain bike. Yeah, that was, I think that was my first long race. Mm-hmm. That was brutal. Yeah, I remember. Oh, yeah, they started the longer race, which I was in, in front of you guys. And then y'all started the second one. And then when you passed me, you were like, hey. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God, dude, you guys are flying. It was so cool. Yeah. And then you did Fredericksburg, Texas has. And these are Texas Mountain Bike Racing League races, by the way. And you got first in your age group at the Fredericksburg race, which is 42 miles, I think. Mm-hmm. So this race was the longest mountain bike race yep. you were ever going to do. But what's the longest race? It would be like a gravel race, right? What's the lo- some of the longest gravel racing you've done? Uh, gravel Locust was the longest. That was 150 miles, um, a little under 10 hours on the bike. Mm-hmm. That was <laughs> that was an experience. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I definitely want to go back and do that one. That one was so cool. Yeah, I, I definitely want to do that one again. And that's kind of like a not really a qualifier. It could be someday, but a qualifier for Unbound. Like it's a good pre-run for Unbound and Camp. Yeah, it's a little shorter, but um, but all yeah, the pros show up for that one. Yeah, there's a bunch of pros mm-hmm. that show up to that one. I'd say the next longest that I've done El Camino, which was the first gravel race we ever did, mm-hmm. 100 miles. That was like 109 or 112, I think. Yeah. It's advertised yeah. as a 200 mile something race, but that's if you do back to back days, like they have a second, you can do yeah, one day or both days or the second day or, you know, whatever you want. Yeah. I've done the Highlands Gravel Classic in Arkansas. Oh yeah. The UCI um, world's qualifier. Yeah. And then what's the other one? Hell of the North in Paris, Texas. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I didn't have a great race there, but that was fun. <laughs> you bonked. Yeah, for... I bonked hard. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, what was your what's your background in mountain biking? What'd you what'd you get started in? So I started with Nika. I've done that since middle school, I think. Yeah, I made my way up varsity last year. And yeah, just uh so yeah, Nika. Uh, I've done a few timber races. I mean, actually a lot of timber races. So the Nike races are like they do by age or like kind of like grade in school. Right. So it's like it'll be a three lap course. But like that's what varsity does is three laps. JV. What? Four laps. Four laps. Okay. JV does three. Sophomores do two. Freshmen do one kind of kind of thing. Right. Yeah. But. Um, I keep hearing in the off-road circles that people that did NICA in high school are the next generation are have been the next generation of um, of racers for quite a while now. Um, mm-hmm. Because they all come out of school like with so much race experience. Yeah. And then so you were pretty successful at NICA. You were on the podium a lot mm-hmm. and uh, a really good team. And then let's see. So then uh, you went to you are at Texas State. Yep. Tell us about. What's what's good about Texas State with the mountain biking? Why is it a good choice? I mean, the trails are insane here. I think it, it's limestone, so it's just rock. <laughs> There's no flow. Um, well, very probably very little flow. It depends on where you go. What that means you have to work for every inch that you get or something. Yeah, basically, you you've ridden out here. I rode out there. I've ridden the trails once. Yeah, and um, yeah, there's definitely like no flow except for like down, like at a Creek bottom where it happens to follow along the, the line of a Creek. Yeah. It'll be flowy. Like we got here. Yeah. College station. And we're in the, we're in the hill country. So it's, a, it's a lot more hilly than in college station. So it's a, it's a big change, huge mm-hmm. change. And they, everyone on the team says like, once you come here, you're, you're going to be a better mountain biker. Yeah. you think so. Right. For sure. So, I remember you. Yeah. I talked and you were, you were like, this place is insane. It's so hard to ride here. Yeah. Yeah. It, there's about I want to say like four trail systems here, different different parks you can go to. I mean, it's less than five minutes away from my house if you ride, like probably two minutes away from my apartment. So I imagine uh, you tell me if this is true that kind of like Boulder, where it's um it's really hilly one way, right? You can ride up in the in the hills, not, not the mountains like in Colorado, but you can ride up in the hills. Or you can to the west, or you can go east, and it's kind of like kind of in that big river bottom, kind of prairie kind of area. Um, or is it? It's not hill. What's it like? Can you choose where when to ride a hard day or when to ride an easy day? Um, I think if you go, it's more if you go west. It's west or east. It's less hilly. If I mean, if you go south, it's just as hilly, and if you go north, it's just as hilly. Mm-hmm. Um, like if you follow I thirty five, it's it's pretty flat. Okay, but I mean, there's it's definitely big rollers. I know the first day I was here, or it might have been the second day. You're like, yeah, if you go, if you go south, it's gonna be a lot flatter. You're in like the farmland, and no, it was definitely not (laughs) (laughs) at all. Um, If you go towards Wimberley, which is north, it's it's still just as hilly, and if you go south, it's maybe a little less hilly, but it's still hilly. Well, that's good training. Training, yeah. It's, it's fun. Yeah. And then, uh, but you ride a lot on the indoor trainer too, right? For convenience and. Um, yeah. It, recently the weather's not been great here, so I don't like the wind at all. <laughs> really? Uh, no, I don't, I don't like the wind. 
but yeah, if it's raining, I got caught in the rain yesterday. I was riding, I was doing like an out and back two hour ride mm-hmm. and I went out for an hour and then the whole way, the hour back, it was just headwind and rain. Oh, you were probably so miserable. Yeah. But I mean, it's my last, it was my last day of riding before an off season. So I was okay with it. <laughs> okay. So let's talk uh, about, um, talk about biking and effort. So what was your strategy at Austin Rattler? I know um, you wanted me to, to support you and, and <clears throat> to support you and your girlfriend and Keaton, your best friend, we're all there. Yep. This is like your, a race you've been building up to like all season and really excited. And then, but it's three laps of 20 miles each. Yep. Right. So what was your strategy for the, for the laps? And then um, we'll ask like, what was your strategy with fueling and then everything? um pull off like one of these races with good performance is what people are going to yeah um so i was aiming for me after talking with noah my coach we i was aiming for a heart rate between 170 and 178 Mm. which for you're 19 yeah so for a 19 year old that's like high zone three low Mm -hmm. yeah zone three yeah and so I'll, i'll be honest i never I never really even looked down at my computer to see what my heart rate was yeah. the whole time. I wasn't even, I wasn't even thinking about it. I mean, I was just going off a of feel. I mean, I looked at it probably twice on the last lap. Yeah. So but, why not? Why are you just trying to keep up with the people in front of you or you're just going off of what you're just reacting uh, racing? Like a, there's like, like if a lot of people would love to experience this, but the most age groupers, you know, they just do the event. Yeah. Right? And then they talk about, and they're like, oh, they could race pro or something like that. Or why didn't the pros go faster or something? And they're like, no, dude, the pro racing, the front end of a race is completely different, right? It's like you're res- you're responding to what the other leaders are doing and trying to yeah. stay with them and whatever, because that's actually what matters. And so if they slow down, then you slow down. If they speed up, you speed up. Or like you might try to attack when they're having a problem or, or you know. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think, yeah, it was, I mean, I was with, a group of people some of the time some of the time i wasn't mm-hmm. i mean i was going i guess just really off of feel i wasn't yeah. i mean i was looking at time a bunch to see how far away i was how hard i needed to go but yeah i'd say i was really going off of feel okay no because I, I mean I, I know my body i know what's too hard what's gonna what what's a good pace to keep going for five hours what i'm gonna be able to do so okay and then the, the weather was pretty good it was kind of cool in the morning and then did you did it get hot at the end or not for you? you didn't um, it it never really got hot. It got, I mean, warm, but it wasn't it wasn't like Texas heat. It, it felt good. It was almost like kind of like an ideal racing day. I could say yeah. cooler towards yeah, the end. It really was. It it wasn't super cold in the morning. I didn't go out with um arm warmers or a jacket or anything. It was perfect. Okay. Yeah. So we had a race start of like eight o'clock. And then what was the race start like? To describe the, oh, it was the so darkness cool. of this race, like and how big it was. It was so cool. Yeah, I was on the maybe third row starting. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say there were really rows. It was just people just packed <laughs> into that starting shoot. Right. But we had was it? It was like a side by side, like a ATV. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you'll in, yeah, you'll see it in most of the Leadville races. They have that little gator thing leading out. Oh, and you noticed that the race director was the race director or the guy doing the lottery stuff at the end, announcing all the lotteries was the race mm-hmm. director for Leadville or for Unbound? 
Unbound. Unbound. Yeah. yeah, which is the biggest race. I just, I just Super Bowl of gravel. People that don't know. Yeah, I was watching one of the Unbound from last year, and I was like, "Oh, that's the same dude." Yeah. <laughs> so. Okay, so but didn't yeah, they, but we had the race. The the race start that you were in that for the Austin Rattler wasn't there like corrals? They had like so many people that they had to break it up. Yeah, it was corral A, corral B, and corral C. I think it was only three. Yeah, I don't know if there was a fourth, but yeah, um, it was self self seated. So I mean, you decide where you want to go. I was in corral A, and yeah, it just basically goes off how fast you think you're gonna go. They did a controlled start, right? Yeah, it was a neutral start for probably a mile. So I didn't get to see what happened after the gator. Did the gator peel off right at the single track? Or mm -hmm. Yeah, right where that, that big gate was. Were y'all elbowing for position at the front, or was everybody pretty cool? Everybody seemed to be pretty cool. Um, it was definitely trying to get to the front, though. Mm -hmm. But I, I had a great start. I was in the front, so... Yeah, you're used to these kinds of mountain bike races. Well, what's cool about marathon mountain biking is the starts aren't these insane starts like the shorter races that we've done. Yeah, it wasn't crazy. I think if there wasn't a gator or a, a neutral lead out, it would have been crazy, though. Yeah. That's the one turnoff that people have with mountain biking that I hear a bunch. is um, That's the only one I ever hear is race starts is so combative. You know, it's yeah. kind of like swim starts in triathlon where it's like people like a deep water mass start it's not fun yeah. and so um the fact that they've eliminated if people want to get into marathon mountain biking i highly encourage it it's so cool and yeah. the starts are actually as neutral as you want to be most of the yeah. time i think if there wasn't well so you really wanted to be at the i mean if you want to have a good start you want to be at the front for that race um mm -hmm. there's a lot of 90 degree turns um mm -hmm. right at the start even with the neutral lead out there it got it buckled up there were but it bunched up. There were a bunch of people. So if you were if you weren't at the front, you would probably be walking. That's how many people there were and how bunched up it got. Now, I remember the corrals were spaced out like two or three minutes apart. And you go to uh, on Instagram. Maybe you've posted. What? Who are you on Instagram? If you want to see some of your videos, by the way. Uh, I think it's Kai Blankner. Kai Blankner one on Instagram. Yeah. And then uh, underscore Blankner one. And then on Zen Triathlon on Instagram, you can see, if you go back a little bit, you can see one of the, I think it's Kai's corral start and just how many people it is going over the horizon is, and it's so cool looking. And then what about uh, crashes? Were there any crashes as y'all got up right onto the single track? Um, not, not as soon as we got to the single track. Um, I know Isaac Bailey, he wiped out in one of the corners um, and that put him back a few positions, but then we worked together after that. I didn't really see any wrecks, honestly. Not the whole time, actually, I didn't see any wrecks besides Isaac. But it was just, it was a, a very loose, sandy corner where anyone could have wiped out. And I don't think he pre-rode at all. So that was another yeah. factor. It's funny because, you know, you need to pre-ride, but also y'all racing Nika have trained and raced out there so much, like, at that one place. Yeah. And we went there the weekend before, right, and rode some. And it was super hot. We really struggled out there. That was pretty funny. Let's see. So your goal was an hour and a half per lap if you wanted to win, you know, your age group at least. And you came in on your first lap at, the, at an hour and a half. I was so impressed. I was like, dude, he's doing it. Yeah. Well, that was with the being on the road for that first part too. I mean, I was averaging probably 13.1 miles per hour for that first lap. Yeah. That was fast. <laughs> so did you see any other crashes that were... No, I didn't see any. 
Oh, that's cool. Okay. And then there's a lot of times people don't want to do mountain biking because they, they're worried you're going to crash or something. It's, yeah. It's a, it's a technical course, but it's also not really a technical course. Yeah. The long distance mountain biking, it caters towards older people a lot of times because it's a longer endurance event. People are that turning more slow twitch. Mm-hmm. And that's what I like about marathon mountain biking is they take some of the crazy technical stuff out of it because that's not what a 50, 60 year old person is interested in. They don't want to do crazy. They want to do an endurance, an endurance mountain bike ride. You know? yeah. So as far as, as far as like technical, it's more like older style mountain biking, like at Rocky Hill ranch for the marathon mountain biking, they take out the crazy technical stuff. And that's why I like it. I like doing the marathon mountain bike. You mentioned Isaac Bailey, right? So you used to race yeah. in America. With him and he was on Texas Devo, right? So that was a select team that you were on. Mm-hmm. Um, you had to get, you had to apply to that you were on that all last year. It was Texas's development team. Well, it's this year. I'm still on it. Still on it through the end of the year and yeah. um, wearing their race kit and stuff. That's really awesome that you made that team. Uh, that was last year's big goal was to get on that team. Yeah. And then I saw, uh, what's, what's Blake's last name? Keeling. Blake Keeling. He's got a twin brother too that's also really good. Yeah. Alex. Alex. Okay. And then, um, so Isaac and Blake were in the race. Do you remember anybody else that was your competition specifically that was in the race? Um, Justin Greenfield was there. Um, he's a local from San Marcos. Not really, no. And then what happened to Blake during the race? He, I know he was, he had, he was having some knee problems. I think he wrecked or something like the week before. Um, so he was having some knee problems knee issues and then i passed him on the third lap he was on the ground holding his leg he was cramping uh, up remember that's what he said yeah he said that his whole it might have been i think it was his left leg the leg that was hurt had cramped up whole his whole leg um yeah yeah <laughs> and that's typical right of of people that are going a further distance harder than they've ever gone before they'll cramp mm-hmm. yeah and i, I cramped yeah, you started cramping and then, but uh, I was, when you told me, cause we were looking at your graphs, you know, your speed and, and stuff. Yeah. And I pointed out that you had, your heart rate was a little bit slower, your last lap and a little bit. Yeah. And I was like, oh, maybe you were bonking out, out of energy, but no, you said something else actually was a, yeah. big, a big factor. The I had a cramp in my right leg. Right. Um, but you yeah. slowed down. Right. So like, yeah. that's, I, I haven't told you this yet, but when you told me that I was like, oh, Dude, that's smart. You did something. So Blake did probably didn't slow down enough and cramped yeah. up. And then you slowed down. So you didn't cramp up a- as badly as he did. And then you were able to actually keep up a pretty decent pace for the last lap too. Yeah. You only, you only faded like a few minutes per lap, like seven minutes per lap or, or 15, 10 minutes per lap or something like that. Yeah. yeah. That was the only thing that I would say went, I mean, wrong, I mm-hmm. guess the whole time. It was a really good race. So let's talk about uh, your fueling. What did yeah. you use? What did you use for for fuel? Um, how did you arrange it in bottles and hydration too? And mm-hmm. uh, and then so what was your strategy? And then how did it pan out? And yeah, so go ahead and start telling us that. That's really so, interesting. I do our 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 mixture that we do. That's 50-50 Gatorade sugar and then a teaspoon of sodium citrate. Mm-hmm. Um. And so I have in your own fuel. Yeah. Own fuel. We don't, we're not buying it from anybody. Um, there's not an actual brand besides Gatorade, sugar and sodium citrate, wherever we get that. But yeah, it was, 
<laughs> well, like a typical triathlete, I pour over slow twitch, right? Because triathletes are known for being just researching and meticulous about every little possible thing. We we yeah. overanalyze everything. And uh, over the past couple of years, there's been just so much content put out there by by fueling hydration professionals that just straight table sugar and yeah. sodium citrate is the most amazing fuel that people are yeah. just not trying. And so we, we started trying. I started trying it, and then got you started doing yeah, it. We were using Gatorade Endurance, mm-hmm. which yeah. is not bad. I mean, that's what Lionel Sanders used for a long time. I don't know if he still does. Yeah. Well, what's the difference from it? Has there's it has something yeah but no it it definitely works it's amazing so so you made your fuel like the day before or something or the morning yeah in in the hotel room okay yeah so you made the fuel like you poured it together you knew like from experience like how much to put in a bottle and what bottles you're going to use yeah so it's we calculated it's around i usually do like for training and stuff about an hour is 250 calories And so I was thinking, okay, the laps will be about an hour and a half. I'll put an hour and a half worth of fuel in the bottles. And then each lap, I'll get a new bottle. And that worked. Um, I think I should have done probably two hours worth just because I was thinking, I wasn't thinking about, well, I'm going harder during a race. Oh, yeah, you're burning more calories. Yeah. Burning more calories. And what if it takes longer? What if something goes wrong? What if... Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a flat or a mechanical and I'm out there for two hours instead of an hour and a half. Yeah, you're right. So I should have done that. That might've been a, something that caused the cramp in my leg. Yeah. I was doing that's, I usually do with a cliff bar that's 350 calories an hour. Mm-hmm. So I was probably doing around, I think I added up. It was like 575, 575 calories and per oh. lap. Oh, per lap. Yeah. Oh, per lap because yeah. it's in a flat. Okay, yeah. Five, I was doing five hundred twenty-five. Yeah. Okay, so we were just talking about fueling and hydration. So what did you do for hydration? You had a Camelback, right? Yeah. For, but then you changed. Well, tell me, tell us your strategy. It was kind of interesting. Yeah. So I had a Camelback for two laps, mm-hmm. and then the third lap, I I dropped that, and I had a, a just a bottle of a regular size bottle of water on my bike. Um, I had that on there the whole ride, just in case. I Noah and I call it a utility bottle, just in case something happens. I can use it like if I get mud or something on my glasses, I can use it to spray off mud. And then for the last lap, I used it for hydration. Yeah, I remember when you told me that one time that he had told you that you should just carry a water bottle, an extra water bottle anyway, mm-hmm. just for hydration, but also like to... To, um, and this is really good for gravel biking, you know, like to spray mud off your drivetrain or something. And I was like, oh, that actually is pretty smart. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So you were basically taking, you're going to finish the Camelback. Did you, fi- did you, did you finish off the Camelback? I was really close. <laughs> okay. And two laps. Right. And then your third lap, just go with bottles. And then, um, so I remember I was paranoid that you were going to want more water. So what I did, uh, this is coming from the support crew. What I did with Kai when he came through, this is on video too, on, on Instagram, this is in triathlon Instagram, uh, Kai coming through after his first lap and to get Keaton involved, Keaton wanted to hand you that bottle. Right. Mm-hmm. And so many times watching the tour de France and this other stuff and Ironman racing where they go through and they drop a bottle and it like ruins their race. Right. And so the real pro teams have like, like in the tour de France, they have like several stations 
to give them second try, third try, right? And you came through fast. And so, yeah, you hit Keaton and that bottle dropped. And then I was there with the second bottle. Yeah. And super excited that that actually we predicted that that could happen and then had a backup. Yeah, yeah I was glad you were there with that. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was, uh, that would have been a situation, right? That would have ruined, well, it wouldn't ruin your race, but it would have been really tough. So yeah. then it would have made your race more of a part- participation event instead of a race. Was there any supply out on the course? Nothing. Uh-uh. No, there wasn't anything. I thought they said there was going to be something, but I don't think there was. They might have put an aid station way out, I guess, for people. Yeah. It would be there was no support by by family or friends allowed except for at the the pass through at the gate. Feed zone. Yeah. Feed zone, uh where we at this race start as you come through. Okay. So then yeah, so I filled up a second camelback with water for you and sodium citrate as an electrolyte. And then as you came through, I was I was holding it up in the air and you said no, you didn't want it. Right. So you kept going. And then um, on your third lap, you did say something about though, that you kind of ran out of fuel that you could have, we need to make a note on this for next year. This is what excellent racers do, right? They make yeah. notes. They would improve. Yeah. It's something about that. You could have used one more cliff bar. Yeah. Something. So going into the race, um, I had five cliff bars, um, for five hours, because I'd eat one per hour. Um, and I've told so many people this. Uh, this, like I told Bummy and Noah like and Kylie and everybody, uh, on the start line, I ate one of the cliff bars. <laughs> Nervous eating maybe. And I, yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't thinking about it. And so I mean, I kind of hungry, dude. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I kind of for, forgot that I was like, oh, this is, I need this for the actual race. But, um, yeah, so starting the third lap, I reached back and I was like, oh, I only have one cliff bar left. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, I was hungry and I needed to eat. So I ate that last cliff bar. And yeah, I think that might have also had something to do with the cramp. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so I could have brought one more cliff bar. So yeah, so we'll make notes and you, sh- you should make notes too, I guess. Like um, yeah. I do that. So people listening, and I, like, I'm a typical triathlete, very meticulous. I love it. I make notes on every single race, exactly what went right, what went wrong. Like, and I have it categorized in, um, in uh, uh, task and project management software, every race and every, by every year. And I'll, I mean, down to things like what hotel we stayed at, you know, if they had a free breakfast or not, where to eat dinner the night before, right? We need to write that down for you too, right? That burn it, the town has no Italian restaurants, I think. Well, they had one of those closed. Something was weird about it. Yeah. And so like pasta would be a really great thing to have, <laughs> but yeah. any Italian restaurants, that's how small of a town is. There isn't a single one. Yeah. And then, uh, that's a note, you know, that we should make. So we were trying to figure out like Mexican food and rice, maybe like trying to feed you all the rice on everybody's plate. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, so that was fun. And then, um, okay. So what do you think about the lifetime series racing overall? Like, the the grand uh, so can you explain like the grand prix thing again and they just had a team selection like what is that yeah so i want to say it's like 15 big races and for the lifetime grand prix um they take it's either six or seven races their most popular races and they'll those like unbound is unbound unbound's lifetime unbound one yeah it is one yeah um, redville they just did big sugar which is a mountain bike race 
Yeah. No, Big Sugar was a gravel bike. Yeah. But uh, you know what? It, it was almost exactly like um, the one that you just said earlier that we did the um, the Ozark Highlands. Yeah. Race, except chunkier. Do you remember? Like, I did a little bit of research and asked around about what is the what is that race like or, around Fayetteville? <laughs> Our race, and they said if your race, okay, so it varies. If you go east and southeast of Fayetteville, it's you know very rugged, but it's the the gravel is smoother, right? Like. And that's like, that's what we experienced. Our gravel was not chunky, right? At uh, our race, and they said if you yeah. go north and west of Fayetteville, up towards Bentonville, and then that way, um, then it's really chunky and technical. And that's what yeah. we heard about about that race, right? Big Sugar was people were saying it was one of the chunkiest, most like tire slicing races, like Unbound, right? Unbound is full of flint, yeah, arrowhead rocks, yeah. So they pick how many pros? for this grand prix or uh 30 men and 30 women right and they made, even made a tv show i didn't watch any of that Did... it's a it's a youtube series yeah um for okay. each each race they alternate between the men and women's race so one of their documentaries will be about the women's race and then like the next race it'll be about the men's race um, i i like it i like watching those on the trainer and stuff i'll watch them probably three times <laughs> yeah I really like Oh, yeah. Okay. So, and do you have goals of being uh, selected to be one of those pros? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's a big goal, but I have to think of what's actually possible right now. Um, so maybe next year, try and apply and get accepted. Um, they only really take 15 people. So, right. Cause it's the, the top 15 from the previous year are automatically qualified. Mm hmm. And as of right now, it's such a big, successful thing that I think everybody's going to take that slot. Yeah. So what you said it was like 200 people applied or something. I heard that 200 people applied, maybe, yeah, for, like maybe for gender, but maybe overall, you know, pros. Yeah. Um, I wonder, like maybe, maybe a goal first. I'm just guessing. Well, you have this other goal. Let's talk about this goal. Uh, CTL. Triathletes know about CTL if they do any kind of serious training. So what yeah. is, what is CTL? Uh, I think it stands for chronic training load. Mm -hmm. I think so. So, I mean, it's basically just a number that tells you how fit you are. That's what I think of it as. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, yeah, for the, I mean, for the end of the year, I'm trying to get it up to a hundred. Mm -hmm. uh, I've been working at it for a long time. And right now um, I'm probably have the most motivation and am in the right mindset for it right now mm -hmm. than ever. Um and I like that goal because it's like attainable, you know, it's like a number that you have total control over. It's yeah. not like a race where somebody, you know, like getting a result in a race or that depends on who shows up or like having a mechanical or something like yeah. you can, you can uh, so CTL from a coaching perspective, the science behind it is every workout gives you so many points and then it's a percentage of your max for an hour, right? So if you did your all out max for an hour, that'd be a hundred points. And then what happens is, is CTL is calculated with the half-life of every workout of two weeks, I think. So your points fade, right, over two weeks because your fitness fades from a workout over two weeks. But the more workouts you do, the more they start stacking up and you stack up more than can fade, right? Yeah. And so you could do like a three-hour bike ride and get 100 points because you went 
kind of medium, you know, for three hours, that would give you, that would be like doing an hour all out or something. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people will target CTL per workout. It'll show on your bike computer, you know, what CTL it thinks you're getting from this ride. Yeah. That, I mean, that's what I go off of for, I mean, basically every workout is what would TSS. Yeah. TSS. That's actually, so your trust, your training stress score is TSS. And then your CTL is your TSS accumulated, but with a half-life of two weeks. So you lose TSS points over time, but you you try to compound, you try to pile them up faster than you lose them up to a certain point. And you're trying to get up to a hundred of, it would be like you have the fatigue of doing an all-out workout every day for yeah. now. Um, and then, and then what's cool is they have metrics out there. Like if you want to be, if you want to qualify for Kona, you probably need a CTL of this. And if you want, I remember to, to finish an Ultraman happy, I needed a CTL near like 140 or something crazy like that. Yeah. Maybe that was in the 130s, I think. And then, yeah. but it was kind of fun. Like I just targeted it and just come, just worked out until I started getting up there. And then, yeah. so when are you supposed to get a CTL of 100 by? Is there a date? I mean, just by the end of the year, that's my goal. Okay. I don't really have a date because I don't have workouts um, planned out that far <laughs> and training peaks. Yeah. Um, but yeah, okay. that's my goal. Yeah. That's, and, and that's my big goal for the, the rest of the year because I don't really have any races coming up. And then I wonder like your next a goal before you could qualify for get selected for lifetime Grand Prix. Um, do you have to, you have to be a pro, right? So then how do you qualify to be a pro? Is there some sort of qualification? Like I know the qualifications for triathlon to be a pro triathlete, but, uh, I don't know what it is for mountain biking. Um, I know for like UCI, you have to have a certain amount of points and then make your way up. Yeah. You can't just go into it. Um, a lot of UCI, you know what? We should ask uh, Justin McQuarrie because he's a, or somebody like him. Yeah. Because he's a pro. He went to Gravel Worlds. He did go to Gravel Worlds. Yeah. Um, he did have a, a last row start, though, because he didn't have a bunch of UCI points. Yeah. I mean, well, the thing is with the gravel scene right now, they're not doing a bunch of UCI races because there's so many rules with UCI. Yeah, there's like two worlds of gravel, right? There's UCI and then there's non-UCI. Yeah. So like Keegan, he had he didn't have a front row start. He was like probably mid-pack, maybe a little yeah, you're right. So like Keegan and those other guys had hardly any UCI points. American off-road racing yeah. is very not UCI. Like um it's uh Europe Europe well, is very- Yeah. So I mean all the roadies and stuff that did gravel were all at the front, like Wout. Um I forget who else. It was a big name for Imagine like, if Matthew Vanderpool showed up to that race and Wild Van Art. Yeah. Holy crap, that would have been insane. Yeah. Okay. But so- I know Keegan, I mean he he had enough uci points i think he did like the soldier hollow race mm-hmm. um I, is cape epic uci race i think it is yeah yeah so he got points from there that. yeah he got a p- points from there um maybe the i mean i guarantee it the gravel worlds not worlds national race that was uci um yeah cape epic nationals, nationals. That's I'm glad you brought that up for people that don't know. It's apparently like one of the, it's like the tour de France of um, mountain biking. Kind of it's a five day stage race across South Africa. And um, yeah. And it's got UCI points with it. And Keegan did that with um, teammates with lock. Yeah. Um, so talk about this for a second. Like um, the whole, 
is it Payson McElvin or uh, anyway, they, they, they just decided because it's, it's this mix of gravel bike racing and mountain bike racing together that they just started calling themselves off-road cyclists or something, off-road racers. Have you heard that? That, that um, because they do both, you know, so what would you, they were in an interview, they, it may have been pacing and going, uh, like, what do you, what do you consider yourself as? Off-road bike racer. Yeah. It's just off-road bike racer because they're doing gravel and mountain biking. Yeah. Yeah. So is that, is that what you would consider yourself? Mm-hmm. Cause you do both. Yeah, I would. So how do you feel like mountain biking helps your gravel biking? Um, definitely technical skills um for riding on gravel not getting any um like flats or anything it definitely helps being what what do they call it like weightless yeah they, yeah, yeah. Um, i noticed that too like uh when you so what people uh, may not know is like uh, a lot of gravel is like two trails you know where, where the middle of it's like rougher than the than the the tire tracks mm-hmm. and, um so when you but you need to go around somebody or whatever reason you want to switch from one tire track to the other for example for example this happens all the time anyway not just switching tire tracks but what do you do like uh how do you switch over and you know the middle of it say you're in the flint hills of of kansas and it's full of freaking arrowheads what do you do with um this this weightless thing what is that how would you describe that to get from one side to the other for a patch in the middle mm-hmm. just try and be fast about it yeah but don't you like unweight you kind of do like almost like a bunny hop uh you can um i wouldn't do that if you're in a pack though yeah dangerous Maybe if you're by yourself. Well, that's usually me. I'm usually fine. Yeah. If you're in a pack, I wouldn't, I would not do it. You're up front in the pack with the real racers. I'm back there. Yeah. Tooling around. Okay. (laughs) But I would say mountain biking definitely helps with being able to put up with all the bumps and stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like not having to go around, go around technical sections or washboard just because it's technical. Just go through it. Yeah. I couldn't imagine being a roadie like some people describe being a roadie and then they do their first gravel bike race or like that would be so difficult. And then, but being a mountain biker and doing your first gravel bike race, it would almost seem easy. Like as far as technical stuff goes. Yeah. It's definitely, I mean, it'll, it'll, if you don't do any upper body exercises, like after that, the gravel locos race, I was, I was sore upper, upper body. Mm-hmm. I had a sore upper body after that because of yeah. so much bumps, but yeah, no, it definitely helps having a mountain bike background going into gravel so future things right you got you got you got your one week off season coming <laughs> yeah. yeah you could probably stretch it out a little bit more than that. i think it'd be all right but well thanksgiving right after it so yeah yeah in a few weeks there's something coming up what's what's the i wasn't i i wasn't sure you're going to do it but then you said you wanted to do it or you're going to do it or or what's going on what's coming up next the, the is it hugelin is that how you pronounce it yeah it's I think, I guess it's German, Hugoland. The Hugoland Marathon Mountain Bike Race put on by Timbra. Mm-hmm. Um, so Texas, Timbra is Texas Mountain Bike Racing Association, and they have a marathon mountain bike series. Yeah. A lot of states have this, so you got to check it out. If you live in Texas, it's awesome. So Palo Duro Canyon is the first one, right? Yeah, that's this weekend. That's Yeah, this weekend. And then Fredericksburg, and these are 40 to 44 mile races um marathon mountain bike races so long distance mountain biking oh i remember uh i was going to say this when i did my first ever long distance mountain bike race i think it's when you and i did the relay race at warda yeah like six hour relay race i did a lap you did a lap and yeah and it was so abusive on the body (laughs) 
that I was yeah. so happy. I was like, dude, I found something that's close to like half Ironman or Ironman, but off road. Yeah. It's, yeah. I felt like I've been in a car wreck, you know, this is so awesome. And so I didn't know it existed. I thought all mountain bike racing was all like an hour, hour and a half or something, yeah. but this was as long as you can stand. Right. And so, so is there like six races? I think so. Someday, you know, it'd be cool to do all of them, <clears throat> but there's some that are kind of far away and there's one down in Harlingen, I guess, maybe. Or was that like regular temper race? Regular. Uh, has one. But anyway, okay, so what's the Fredericksburg one, the Hugoland we did last year. Mm-hmm. And you got, I was looking at it today, the results, to figure out how long of a race it was time-wise for me. Yeah. And then as I was going through, the very first thing I hit at the top was your name. And you won the 29 and under age group last mm-hmm. year as an 18-year-old. Yeah. Barely, barely 18, you freaking won the whole thing, the 29 and under. Yeah. But that's the second time we've done that race, right? Already. Yeah, that was the second time. So what what do you like about that race? I like the town of Fredericksburg. It's a mm-hmm. cool little town. There's that Christmas parade that goes through the day before, which we've never been able to see because we're always focused on the race. <laughs> I like it that it's not very technical, like hardly at all, actually. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, it's not super technical. It's pretty fast. Yeah, it's definitely like an endurance race. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I think I just like to do it. <laughs> and then I like it that the it's got good views. Like half the race is up on a hilltop kind of, or some hilltops. And so you're looking out over the horizon, which is really pretty. Yeah. And then it's real, cl- you know, the terrain's real clear. Like it's easy to see what's coming up, what's coming next, uh, what to do. But I noticed, I was going to say earlier, like your path to the Grand Prix, lifetime Grand Prix, is you have to be a pro first, right? Yeah. So you got to figure out, we ought to help you figure out, you know, what does it take to actually qualify as a pro? So you've got that official certification so that you can apply. Right. And yeah. then, cause I think it's, it's different from UCI. I mean, you don't, it's not a, cause it goes U23 and then elite. Like, what is it for? Yeah. Right. That's exactly what in triathlon triathlon does not give a crap about. In fact, it's explicitly against UCI. That's well, um, except for UCI triathlon, like uh drafting triathlon, short distance. But to become a pro triathlete, you have to finish three races um, within 10% of time of the overall winner. Oh, okay. And then you can't do it just once. And it's got to be a race of over like 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 participants or something like that. So like an Ironman, half Ironman, you know, a big Olympic, the Kima races that we used to do. Yeah. One that had enough people. And then you they don't call it a pro license. It's, it's what you said. They call it an elite life. Yeah. So, so but you won age group. Last year, and that was a year ago, and you're a whole year better in college racing now. So I was like, so there's an open category. Yeah, open. it's September open, so it's pro. That's their version of pro. Yeah, pro. So I mean, are, there, are pro, there are pro racers that race it. That's how, yeah, if you were a pro officially, like a real pro, apparently whatever it takes to be that, yeah. that's what you would have to race, right? Yeah, we've had, I know for sure Cole Patton has raced. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did the Rocky Hill race. Uh, it was the year that we were there. Mm-hmm. um that super muddy course um and i've had a, a few other people yeah so yeah then in um in oh Tri- payson payson's done it he did the paladero canyon race he was oh wow yeah well he used to live in austin yeah so he's probably done a bunch of these so in triathlon it's like bad taste uh bad form to like win your age group constantly and not move up to pro mm-hmm. <laughs> if you're in that age group like my age group you know, we're beyond pro now, but like your age group, once you start winning your age group all the time, 
it's like, dude, race pro, come on, you know, like get out of yeah. this age group. You're too good, you know. Yeah, it was like uh at the some of the collegiate races, there was a guy that was he was too good for to be in C's. Like he was demolishing everybody, and they're like, yeah. dude, well, just, just he like Ben, the race director, was like, we're moving up to B's. <laughs> so yeah, I think the fact that you won that age group last year is a really good indicator that you're close to being pro. And then I did, you know, all I know is triathlon. I did the triathlon math and you finished just barely over 10% of the time of the race finisher at the Austin Rattler, which would be a pro qualifier race. I mean, that thing was freaking huge. Yeah. There were guys from Colorado. The, the winner yeah. was Colorado. Yeah. So if that, if that was like a, if the same rules applied to mountain biking as to triathlon, then yeah, you would be on your way to being pro. That'd be one race out of the three. But then I looked at your time. No, I looked at my time and it took me, what did you, you finished uh, the Austin Rattler 60 miles in 440, 451? I think. You know your time? Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, 451. And my time for finishing the Fredericksburg, like 40 miles was like 445 or four, you know, you almost beat my time doing the, the Fredericksburg race. So 20 more miles in the same amount of time. And that's what I noticed about you guys was uh, you guys at the front at the Austin Rattler were starting to lap the normal people. And those laps were 20 miles long. And I was like, oh my God, how do you do that? And it's absolutely amazing. Yeah. So you yeah, told well, me that one time, what was your famous advice to me to be a better mountain biker? Do you remember? Just go faster. Yeah. You're like, dad, it's easier if you just go faster. I was like, oh, okay. I mean, over the, over the technical stuff, I mean, if you're going slower, it's more bumpy. <laughs> I know, but it was so funny. It's like, I am trying to go fast, go as fast as I can, dude. And for, for gravel also, I mean, if you just go faster, it's not as hard on your body. Mm -hmm. And it's on a, a podcast I was listening to, they explicitly said that, that, um, that I think it was gravel biking and like suspension for gravel bikes and stuff. And they yeah. said, the fast one of the reasons the faster racers often don't have suspension is they're going so much faster it actually smooths out the bumps yeah well you were wanting me to get all this suspension stem and everything i'm like i don't i don't i guess i just don't feel what you're talking about i guess yeah because you people like a, a washboard on a road if you drive real if you drive a certain speed kind of slow it'll just rattle your car to death and the way to to handle it actually drive faster as long as you're not in a turn and then now you're riding across the tops of the of the washboard and your tires don't have time to go down and up. They just float across the top. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So your next race is Fredericksburg, Hugoland. Yeah. And you're going to race open pro and that'll, that'll open you up for um, overall prizes too. Right. Yeah. And you've won, you've won at some Timbra, the shorter races you've won, you got podium won some cash, right? Gas yeah. money. So this is a possibility, right? Mm -hmm. well, I think I might've. I don't think I got any money from that race last year, but I might have. Hmm. But I mean, at the that Rocky Hill Ranch race that we did with the with Texas Devo, I mean, the top guy got it was close to a thousand dollars. Oh wow! Yeah. All right, that'd buy you a power meter, dude. That would. Okay. <laughs> so, do you have a plan for a race after that? Is it going to be gravel races? In this? I know I want we want to do um Heiko. Gravel Locos? Yeah. Right. Well, the, first, the first one is the excruciation exam. Then you want to do that one? Yeah. And then, yeah, you did really well in that one last year too, right? You Didn't you get like third or fifth or something like that? 
I got first for the age group and maybe fifth overall. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. So people ought to look this thing up. This is the craziest race you've ever heard of. It's kind of like the Belgian waffle ride stuff where it's madness. You ride one mountain bike park. So you need a mountain bike. Yeah. Then you ride a mix of paved and gravel roads, like 30 miles, mm -hmm. or at least 25 miles, like to, to another mountain bike park, ride that mountain bike park, turn around and then ride back on the open road, which puts pack yeah. back yeah. into it again. And then... Uh, it's like, so like when you leave the mountain bike park the first time you have to, you want to leave like in a group, right? If you leave oh, yeah. and you're not in a group, which is hard to do mountain biking, right. To be with that front pack, because when they hit the road, it's going to be pack racing, like, uh, like road racing mm -hmm. to the next mountain bike park. And then you ride that next mountain bike park and then ride back. And then when you get back, you still have to ride the first mountain bike park, ha half of it all over again. And it ends up being like yeah. a 70, 80, 90 mile race or something like that on mountains. Around miles, yeah. It's like yeah. 73 miles. Yeah. And it's in January. Yeah. It's like freezing. Well, last year we did it. It wasn't too bad, right? It was. Yeah. Yeah. But I've done it before where it was in the 20s. We started off below freezing. Yeah. So la last year I, I did it on my mountain bike with gravel tires. Remember that? Yeah. And it ended up being okay. That was a mistake. It was a mistake. It was kind of wet. Well, because well, well, because I went into it thinking, um, like on the road section, it's so much road, and if I'm by myself, you definitely want those gravel tires, like slick tires. Mm -hmm. But if you're in a pack, it doesn't matter. Oh, because then you lose the the benefit of having mountain bike tires on trails, right? And because okay, so the strategy would be to use mountain bike tires. That way, um, you can when you you are with a pack when you leave the mountain bike park you've managed to hang with them yeah and then now that you're with that pack you draft off of all draft off of each other and it doesn't matter that you got mountain bike tires because you, you're in the draft yeah so hopefully you're in a pack yeah but i yeah i've been out there on my own um this is one race where people put aero bars on mountain bikes literally like some people do at leadville right there was four of us last year that had aero bars on our mountain bike um yeah. To be out on the open road. Okay, so let's talk about this real quick. That's your next race at at Texas State. Are you going to do any road racing, or you got to get a road bike first if you're going to do any of that? Yeah, I've got to get a road bike. And then uh, with that Shimano double, with that Shimano crank recall, have you gone by the truck shop and have you collected my crank from them, or do I need to call them? No, they haven't mentioned it to me. Uh, they're probably trying to take it. Yeah, we need to do something with that crank. See if we can put it on a bike or get your crank double cranked on your gravel bike or something, or get you a road bike. Yeah. But speaking of that, sponsors, right? So being a college student and having been, but also having been on some teams, what are some sponsors that you've had? And what are some sponsors that like the team, the Texas State team? And like next year racing, are you going to race in Texas State gear? Or are you going to race in like Williams Racing Academy uh, gear or what? Um, yeah, being on the Texas Devo team, we've had a bunch of sponsors like ESI Grips, Cav Helmets. Those are the 3D printed helmets? Yeah, it was the 3D printed helmets. Yeah. Orange Seal, which was a huge, huge deal. But yeah, for for next year, I'll be I don't the know. Texas State team is, is sponsored by Earthburger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, they are. We went eight there. Uh it was all right, I guess. It was pretty good. Yeah. I don't know yet. Would you be Maybe. proud to wear your Texas State gear? Yeah. Yeah, no, I would. I I don't have any all I have is that hand-me-down jersey right now though yeah 
So the, they in Jersey at some races and get yeah. and people say stuff. They're like, oh, that's so cool. Yeah, they yeah. should be coming in next week, though. That's what Joseph said. Hmm. So we'll see. Yeah, I don't have a, anything lined up yet with another team for next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, we'll see. I think you got a lot going on with college and everything. So you don't really need to be on a team so much as as much as you're already on a team. You're on Texas State, you know. And then mm-hmm. they give you a lot of liberty. You can kind of do whatever you want. Yeah. And then we're on the prowl looking for improvements in uh gravel bike, right? Because your gravel bike is currently a, a single front chain ring. And we think a double front chain ring is better for pro racing. Yeah. Road road gearing is probably yeah. better. Yeah. And then also a road bike for uh training and um racing out there. Your mountain bike's pretty much covered, right? You got an awesome mountain bike. Yeah. So yeah. Definitely a, a bike sponsor would be nice. It would be really nice. Really nice. Yeah. I think you definitely deserved it. So those are some really great results. They just, people don't know about them as much without, because uh, they're not, you've gotten first place in so many, at first in podium and so many races, but they're races that aren't the the most famous, famous races. So a lot of people don't know about them. Yeah. Yeah. Bike sponsors are always the best and wheels are always nice. Yeah. You're riding a Cantu wheels, which actually we got at a, at a, um, after the gravel locos race, no, um, El Camino race, you won those. Mm-hmm. Those are carbon race wheels. Those are sweet. They're awesome. I love them. Yeah. All right. Well, dude, it's been awesome having you on the show. Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me. If people want to reach out to you to ask you questions or, uh, cheer you on or talk to you about sponsorships or anything or social media kind of stuff, or, uh, how do they get in touch with you? Uh, probably just DM me on Instagram, um, which is Kai Blankner 14 or email me at Kai Blankner 14 at gmail.com. All right. Yeah. All right. We'll keep it up. All right. We'll do. All right. That is our interview with the amazing Kai Blankner. I think he'll come home over Thanksgiving and then over Christmas and we'll get some, we'll get some long bike rides in together, building volume. It ends up working out pretty great because my uh, long bike ride speed is the exact speed he needs to build volume. And then we can talk about more of his plans and we have some gravel races coming up and you know, will he go pro? I don't know. I mean, he wants to, and it's, it's a cool thing. You get to say that you were pro for the rest of your life. I was a pro bike racer. Like, Ooh, (laughs) You only need to be one briefly for you to say you were one for the rest of your life. It's like an Iron Man. And I think it's kind of funny. You know, my goal, I always envisioned him being a superstar triathlete, if that's a sport that he wanted to get into. But he really didn't like to swim so much. He didn't want to be on swim team. And then his high school didn't have a swim team. And then when we found the mountain biking, you know, it just lit him up. And honestly, being a triathlete in high school and maybe even in college, it's too much, man. It's too much time taken up. And it's better just to have a single sport for a while. But you never know. Some people are able to do it. But this is also the time in your life where you actually need to have a life. And he definitely enjoys doing that. He's got a great group of friends and a girlfriend. So mountain biking and gravel racing is plenty right now. It's definitely enough. And he could switch sports. He could play tennis, basketball, whatever. Doesn't matter. As long as he does something and he enjoys it, then I'm happy. So yeah, that's the story of how we accidentally built a spectacular mountain biker, (laughs) accidentally on purpose. And you could tell it it took a great mix of himself, quality coaching, and then also the right environment, supportive environment at home, knowledgeable environment at home to be able to say, oh, you want 
to actually win. Here, this is the fuel you need. This is the bike you need. These are the tires that actually make a difference. This is the kit that'll take one minute off your time and move you up from second to first. Oh, you don't feel good? Do you have a fever? No? Oh, you could probably still work out. Just do an easy bike ride. Oh, you have a fever? Don't work out. Oh, let's take a break for a little bit. It's fine. You'll actually be faster after a few days to a week off. Hey, you've got a race coming up in two weeks. This is the weekend for you to do some big volume and then let's sharpen the blade. These things all add up. So if you like that story and you want to do a little bit of this for yourself, again, remember, you can reach out to me and get coached the Zen Tri way using training peaks, heart rate, GPS, power meter, sit down and work out your goals, work backwards from your race date to now and figure out the workouts that you need and how to schedule it in with your life. And we can turn you into the endurance superstar that you've always wanted to be. Just send an email to texafornia at gmail.com with coaching in the subject line of the email and we'll get started. $1.99 a month, the best high quality, real coaching out there for a fantastic price. And oh yeah, you got a good deal on a road bike. It sounds like Kai's looking for one or you want to hit him up or me up for some sponsorship on this podcast or on his racing successes, let us know. We can advertise your product, your service, or your event on this show. I only charge a hundred bucks a month for that. And I don't know, it sounded like Kai was open for business as well to work with some sponsors and maybe promote them on social media as he's clocking up some wins on the local circuits. It definitely looks like there's a lot of success ahead. All right, so that's it, everybody. Next episode, we are going to go to Fredericksburg and race the marathon mountain bike event. I believe it's 44 miles. It is epic. It is hard. It is three laps. So we'll go all through how we execute that and how I'm going to do it self-supported like I did last year versus Kai, who's a legitimate uh, potential winner at the front, how he gets all of his fuel and water as he goes through the aid stations. It'll be really interesting. We had a great time last year. Should have a great time again. All right, everybody stay safe out there. Work the uphills, cruise the downhills, and keep the rubber side down. Out. comments we're going to get that we have the same voice and they're not going to be able to tell who's who yeah who's who who is this who am i copy sky speaking oh we were going to fool you you should have said that you're me and then i'll try to pretend to be you okay go ahead and do that go ahead it'll make good it'll make for good content all right this is uh brett blankner we'll be interviewing kai blankner who are you with? I'm, I gotta go out and ride my bike. I got time for this. I gotta drive my uh, giant lifted Xterra around. It's not that big. <laughs> well, I've been busy going to class and stuff. Yeah. So I'm good. I don't Call have it. time for this. So let's get this over with, man. And uh, my girlfriend's showing up later. We got yeah. stuff to do. So, good. yeah. 
and uh you don't clean your bike enough <laughs> you know i got i got made fun of at the shop because you don't clean your bike enough right you got made fun because i don't clean my bike enough yep yeah you were i was known for having the dad that doesn't take care of his bike at all <laughs> well i got a reputation i gotta i gotta fulfill. that's not a good reputation <laughs> everybody cleans their bike dude be the guy that doesn't clean their bike i clean the bike that matters the triathlon bike the rest of them are just for training <laughs> not enough okay you ready Yep. 